us to death Just because we get around Hello and welcome to Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up with. I am your host. Yeah, yeah, it's still a thing. I know. We've been away for a while. I apologize. That's what happens when somebody's parent dies. Yeah, yeah, you know, shit happens. That's okay. That's okay. I, I, I'm, I am your host, Doug Abel, and I've got my other co-host, TFG1 Mike, a.k.a. Mike Blanchard, with me. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. And we have come back after a fairly long hiatus. I'm too old for all this change in my life. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this shit. Exactly. Which we are going to have to cover that at some point in time. But I can't believe you haven't done that already. I, I know, I know, I know. But I, I was kind of like, you know what? I got to wait for Mike on that one. <laughs> Come on. Uh, Christ, if we waited two more years, we could call it the 30th anniversary. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know if Mel's going to make it that long. He's kind of gone well, batshit crazy. So. He's all right in, the, in Expendables 3 as a villain, but... yeah. So anyway, folks, we are here to talk about a film that came out 1999, and it's actually a great film. Uh, this film involves Robin Williams, uh, Sam Neill, M. Beth Davids, Wendy Crewson, Oliver Platt. Uh, it is a film based in the future and a sci-fi family comedy drama called Bicentennial Man. This movie is, as of this recording, we are two months away from its 16th anniversary. Yeah. Because <laughs> it came out December 17th, 1999. <laughs> and you know what? It's I'm going to start off by saying that a lot of critics pan this film. I, however, am not one of those critics. I really liked it. Uh, you know... When you look at it, Rotten Tomatoes rates it as 35, you know, 37% approval rating. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it two out of four stars. Uh, just people were like really heavy on this. And, you know, the one thing about all this, and maybe we'll have to do an episode of this on MY or something. I'd like to criticize the critics. That's what I'd like to do. It stinks. Because, no, it, no, I mean, like, I'd like to actually do an episode of a podcast, whether it's here, whether it's a movie we can review over at GCRN or something, talking about some of these critics and how they rate these movies and how they feel about these movies. Because, okay, don't get me wrong, Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, they're two of the two of, if not the most famous film critics in our lifetime. Um, but it's just one of those things where, you know, you see Ebert's name and obviously as of, obviously now he's no longer with us, just like Siskel isn't, but it's just one of those things where you go back to some of these films and you see his name on them, you see Siskel's name on them, you see some other people that you don't even really know. And my question is, why doesn't anybody cite Leonard Maltin on any of these things? I know Leonard Maltin is one of those really, really, he used to be one of those really, really cool film critic people. Um, it just, I don't know. Just, uh, yeah. 
there's there's a lot of things wrong but i you know i miss the days of you know 30 years ago where we didn't have a rotten tomatoes because rotten tomatoes to me is the piss poor version of ign for movies <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm wow not, yeah I'm, you've I'm, got nailed down not, not kidding yeah you know we... <laughs> <laughs> that is it in a nutshell so, so my attitude towards IGN, and this is completely away from the movie industry altogether. A few years ago, we wanted to we, I, uh, myself and uh, Optimus Solo and a few other people over at Geekcast Radio Network found IGN's top 100 animated series of all time list. <laughs> yes, and we wanted to basically do it better than what IGN does because the way IGN's lists, top 100 lists, are are formed out is. It's 100 pages of clickbait. So basically, you have to click if you want to see 100, 99, 98, and it's one page mm-hmm. per entry. And they give a little description, and they give a little thing here, and a little thing there, and whatever else. And But there's no real, like, there's no substance to that list whatsoever. And some of the placements of any, so we, we did our own podcast version of it, where we had five or six or seven different podcasts where we're actually, you know, each podcast where... You know, I think the first one was 100 to 81, 80 to 61, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we did 20 per thing. And we actually, you know, it was like two or three of us actually sat there on a podcast discussing why we placed what shows we placed, where we placed them. Yeah. So we're giving you, you know, and some of the original animated series countdown that we did, some of the top 10, top 20 is a little little questionable. But, um, you know, we did it again with animated films and... We were going to do it with video games. We haven't done it with video games yet because it just there was just zero interest at the point, or there just wasn't any time. But now we're gearing up for television shows to do that, and as we're gearing up for the television shows, one someone, one of us, I, I think it was uh, movie revolt Dan, who is one of our other hosts, he found IGN's top 100 video games of all time. So we're going to do top 100 video games, and it's just one of those things where IGN yeah. to me, it, it's like. It used to be cool, like, I don't know, 15 and a half years ago or whenever the hell it first started. Yeah. Now it's just like, hey, let's let's get those advertising dollars. Let's get this. Let's get that. Whatever we can get to keep ourselves going. And that's the same thing with Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, sure, you know, you can say that Rotten Tomatoes, you know, you can point out that there's a overall Rotten Tomatoes rating and then a user rating. And the, sometimes the user ratings are better than the actual website but rotten tomatoes just ugh. yeah when it comes to movies rotten tomatoes is the bane of my existence i would rather have 20 different negative siskel and ebert reviews than anything to do with rotten tomatoes yeah it's so i'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second about ign or uh, <laughs> oh, excuse me not ign rotten tomatoes, rotten tomatoes excuse me <laughs> thank you rotten tomatoes is I get the feeling like what it is is it's an amalgam of the dumbest people on earth grading (laughs) movies. And they they pull out shit and you're like, really? Really? Were we even watching the same thing? Because these are the same people who bitch about little things like, you know, they'll complain about, oh, an app that doesn't work the way that it's supposed to because you didn't click on start. You didn't click run. Okay, something stupid like that. You don't see an install button. You see a start button. So they yeah. bitch about that. Okay? That's that's what these people are on Rotten Tomatoes. They're idiots. I'm sorry. 
these people hated the Avengers. They hated, you know, they, they hated all the Marvel movies. They panned it all. And then they turn around and like crap like Gili. <laughs> okay, that right there should say something. Nobody in their right friggin' mind should like Gili. Yeah, you know, it's it's that. Or they you know, these are the people that keep keep uh making sure that the step up movies keep getting produced. Oh my god. Okay, that, that right there should tell you something. Stop. <laughs> Stop listening to these people. So to get back to our movie Bicentennial Man, as I said, the critics hated this film. I love it. I think it's actually a very well done film considering that it was based on a short story called The Positronic Man, a novel Positronic Man written by Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually based on his novella The Bicentennial Man. Right. Uh it's it's got a lot of things, a lot of little things that I think this is why people didn't like it is because it's a lot of things that make you think things about sex, love, mortality, intellectual freedom, maturity, uh, what it is to be human. And I right. think that that's what a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like it because it's making me think. <laughs> OK, now that you bring that up and now that I'm reading some of the stuff online about it through wiki and through some other sources and whatever else. Now that you bring that point up about bringing up several different, you know, what it means to be human issues. And the first thing I think of is, Hmm, didn't they kind of do this five years before, you know, with some bubble gump shrimp? I mean, seriously, yeah. this could be, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Robin Williams as, as the robot, Andrew Martin. And I don't think I could ever see anyone else, including Tom Hanks playing that character. But now that we're talking about this and I'm thinking about this, I'm like, you know, sex and love and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Hmm, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And it's like, Oh my mm-hmm. God. Wow. <laughs> yep. So to kind of give everybody who, if you haven't seen the film, please go out and see it. Uh, it is available on Amazon instant video and on Apple iTunes. iTunes I believe. Yep. Uh, I, I watched it on instant Amazon Instant Video because I didn't have access to an Apple TV or Apple iTunes easily today. Right. So uh, I've seen this movie, God, probably like 10 or 15 times already. Yeah. And it's one of my wife's favorite films. So she loves it. I'm surprised we actually don't own it on DVD. It's just one of those things. I've, I've I'm never picked it up. I'm surprised you don't own it on iTunes because I've had it on my iTunes for years now. Yeah, I just I, – I don't know why I haven't ever picked it up. It, it's a great film. It, it's just one of those things, you know, so. I don't remember seeing this in theaters, but I remember I was working a year after it came out. Um, I was working in a huh, Kroger video at the time, back when the Kroger grocery store used to have a video department. Wow. Yeah, well, this was 15 years ago, so. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, back then my memory was so sharp. It isn't so much anymore, but my memory was so sharp. People could come up to me at the video store section there and say, I'm looking for this movie. It's got Robin Williams as a robot, or I'm looking for this movie with, um, it's got a bunch of water in it and it's got Christian Slater and Morgan Freeman. Well, 
Bicentennial Man's obvious for Robin Williams as a robot. Mm-hmm. And then A Lot of Water, Morgan Freeman and Christian Slater. That's easy. It's hard rain. Yeah. You know, so I used to be able to make beelines to people's choices because I knew all er- pretty much everything that was coming out. So, but yeah, it's just one of those things where this movie, even back then, this movie was revolutionary. Even now it is still. Oh, yeah. You know, when, when you look at what they did, because th- let's start with the plot for this so we can kind of sure. give everybody an idea of why this is so based on what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start off, there is an NDR series robot named Andrew. And Andrew is so named by Sir Richard Martin, who comes in and he, he brings this robot into his household to be a robot butler for them. Mm-hmm. And so... They purchase him. They say, you're going to do housekeeping, maintenance duties. They accept him. And it's kind of like, okay, whatever. You're, you're a robot. And some of the families, some of the family members don't really like it. Uh, for example, Grace, the, their older daughter, uh, she mm-hmm. kind of doesn't like Andrew and she starts defacing him. She hates him. And from this, they kind of figure him out. commit suicide out, out, out a window. Yes. You know, all sorts <laughs> of little things. Uh, but they find out that he actually has feelings, which is unheard of for robots. And this is this is kind of important because one of the things that Isaac Asimov is incredibly famous for, and it still kind of carries through today, there are what's called the three laws of robotics. Okay, and they're known basically Asimov's laws, the three laws. What it is is the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Second law is a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Okay, This is important because this, this theme plays throughout the entire story. The fact that you have uh, Grace telling him to jump out the window and kind of commit suicide, okay, that there, he did that as Law 2 because it overrode Law 3, where he was trying to protect himself except when given a direct order by, by a human. They told him, kill himself. Okay, jump out the window. Boom. Okay, that sort of stuff is important. That's that's what's basically happening here. And throughout the film, what you start seeing is you start seeing that Andrew becomes more human. He starts realizing that he's got feelings. He starts realizing that he has creativity. And that kind of comes about because little miss uh, Amanda, the younger sister, asks him to carve him, carve her a horse. Well, no, what happened was he broke her horse, the only toy she ever really loved, which was that horse. And he, because he saw the way her emotional, her emotional state was when that happened. And she basically up to that point, she basically was all for Andrew. She was all excited about him, everything else. When he broke her toy, then she just went dark and didn't care and didn't want to be his friend anymore and whatever else. So he then went and researched this horse. It wasn't the exact same one that she had, but he then researched how to build it, how to carve it, whatever else. He did it, gave it to her, and all's well that ends well. Well, and because of that, 
Sam Neill, uh, Richard Martin, sir, kind of looks at this and goes, you made this, Andrew? And everybody's kind of surprised by this because they're not figuring out robots aren't supposed to have, at this level anyway, they're mm-hmm. supposed to be just kind of dumb machines that sit in the corner and take orders and they do what you ask them. And for them to see that here's this robot that he's able to create things that look so lifelike and in our are so well done as part of art and he's creating art, which is something that is unheard of. You know, that's, that's a small part of humanity when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And he starts coming up with this and, and, you know, they start, they start developing this. They said, okay, great. You know, so he starts, he goes, I wonder if I'm the only one who's like this. And they take him back to U.S. Robotics. U.S. Robotics starts investigating him, and they're going, this is a problem. We shouldn't have robots like this. Robots should be controlled. They shouldn't be able to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is a common theme throughout a lot of Asimov's stories, is people are afraid of robots. he, He tries to write that robots aren't necessarily bad, but people are completely hateful of them. They see them as this thing that can kill them because they've got more power. You know, they're, they're stronger. It's, it's the Terminator complex. Yeah. You know, people are so afraid that, Hey, you're going to have a T 800 come out after you. And yeah, Asimov wrote this to basically say, that's not the case. It's, there can be robots that can have humanity to them. They can have feelings. They can be emotional. They can be empathetic. And we go through all this. We start seeing this, and they start reprogramming robots so that they don't have the characteristics of the positronic brain that Andrew has. Right. Uh, Andrew decides that he wants to start getting upgrades as he starts going through. He accidentally cuts off his thumb. And yeah. I remember that. That was kind of funny because he's like just going along and, oh, oh, dear, I've cut my thumb off. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, is um, I don't think it was that kind of saw, but my Uncle Pat, when I was a kid, actually cut his left thumb off doing that same kind of operation because uh. my, my whole mother's side of the family is all construction workers and everything else. When I was growing up, my grandfather and my, my, all my uncles were – my uncle Patrick and Uncle Robert used to Uncle Patrick used to own a, a business called Kitchen Exchange and they used to do all kinds of construction and everything. You know, it's just typical northern Mass typical Massachusetts you know, thing. Um, right. And <laughs> I remember watching this scene where Andrew cuts his thumb off and I'm like, Wow, that's just like Uncle Pat. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> That's morbid, but <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so yeah, he he does cut his thumb off. Uh, so so uh, Sam Martin takes him to repairs back to Northam Robotics, and they want to ensure that they won't screw with his personality or whatever else and everything else. And Andrew also requests that he uh, is being, re- while he's being repaired, he also be able to be altered to show the emotions that he feels. Cause he can only pretty much smile. Yeah. He can't frown. He can't look scared. He can't. Um, and that's when we get into the whole part about him wanting his, his freedom and the way that 
um, the way that uh, Sir Martin does this is he basically banishes him. Says, you want to be free? Fine, get out of my house. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And when when he's dying, Andrew goes to him on his deathbed and... In 2048. Yeah, and, and Sir <laughs> says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have banished you. You know, yep. and that's basically it. Uh, after that, Andrew decides that he's going to go on... I guess a vision quest would be the best way to put this. He starts going out to try and look for other robots like him. <laughs> this quest, again, it's like, I swear to God, and I'm not intentionally trying to do this. It's like, run, Forrest, run. Yeah. <laughs> three years, blank days, blank hours, blank minutes, blank Like I swear to God, it, it, it's, it's like they were watching Forrest Gump, except this is robots instead. So Andrew goes out on this quest, and everywhere he looks, I, I mean, they show him in the most amazing places, you know, oh, the God, Egyptian yes. desert, the, the, the North Pole, I assume the North Pole, or maybe Canada, or I don't know, Alaska, whatever the hell, um, and you can't find any functional robots, uh, until he comes back home and he finds Galatea. Yes. <laughs> that That interaction was great, she's there. <laughs> Oh, I'm so pleasant. I'm so this and so that. And then, you know, she hits her hip and starts jiving yeah. to, to respect. And it's just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite scene in the whole movie with Galatea, uh, Rupert, uh, Rupert Burns, who is the son, the character played by Oliver Platt is the son of the guy who originally created the NDRs or did something originally with the NDRs. And yeah. My favorite scene out of the whole movie with the three of them is... When Andrew asks him for, I think he says, an, I think he says an impact drill or some, oh, sort, of, yes. some sort of drill. Yes. He's like, yeah, it's over there. Oh, thank you. All because she's singing if, if I only had a heart. <laughs> yes. Well, as this is happening all over plants. Character's like, oh, geez, no, no, no. And what Andrew did was he took uh, Galatea's pluck. He took her, her her emotion chip or whatever it was out of her so she could be more <laughs> robotic than human. Um, well, he, he changed her, and I remember that, because you're coming to my favorite scene in the film. When, she's sitting, when he's sitting there, and he asks... Uh, asks her Bert, for something. Yeah, yeah, and she goes... That really chaps my ass. And he goes, and he stops, he goes, chaps my ass. Chaps my ass. I mean, it's just great. But I mean, that's some of the things that you see in this film. You see him, they, they talk about little things like imperfections on the face. And I know I mentioned this on, on uh, the last podcast that we recorded. And, God help me, I can't remember what it was that we were talking about now. The Goonies was the last one you aired, so uh, I wasn't on that. No, 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 this was this was one that you and I just recorded. Oh, um... Because we, we got into Bicentennium and a, a Touch. Oh, that was... It oh, was Three Musketeers! Wire. It was Three Musketeers, yeah, it'll be out soon. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Three Musketeers, so yeah. <laughs> I apologize. It's alright. Uh, but yeah, it's just little things, and he starts talking about his bulbous nose, and... Oh, you have such a large head, but it's lovely. <laughs> you know, just little things like that. You start seeing, you start seeing how 
they captured humanity and they start looking at little things with humanity and you kind of go, wow, I never thought about it like that. And then you start realizing that, wow, this is really good. Uh, just, I, I think that they did such a good job of casting Robin Williams in this role. And I, I know I'm going off here and I apologize. We'll be getting to him in the cast, but him and Oliver Platt, oh, absolutely. you know, the, the whole film just goes well together. You start seeing the emotions coming out of these characters. You see Andrew developing body parts that are basically cybernetic parts that can go either to humans or to androids. And all of this kind of comes to an end to a T because he finally, he finally gets enough emotion and reprograms his positronic brain enough through his own ways to realize that he is in love with little Mrs. Granddaughter, Portia. And, you know, it goes all through the, 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 the sex scene is pretty good. You know, once, 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 uh, sir dies. And then once, um, the time passes and he meets Rupert and everything else. And he comes to find out that little miss is dying as well. Yes. That's how he goes about meeting Portia. And, and <laughs> this is where I, I absolutely love the movie. And this is probably the start of the movie where I just ball my eyes out till the end of it because it's so emotional after he meets her. Because oh God. Yes. Things where he's, he's going to, he's going to little Mrs. Bedside and he, <laughs> Portia comes in behind him and, He's looking at Little Miss, and then he looks at Portia, and, he's, and he just like, "Wait, but you're her, and she's—it's a genetic, I don't like it. gen- genetic thing, Andrew. It skips a generation." He, and he asks her, "Whose daughter is she?" Lloyd's. Oh, no wonder. <laughs> yeah, that explains the rudeness. Uh, yeah. yeah, that explains the rudeness. Yeah. And so, instead of the film becoming, it—it it, still at this point, it still is a quest for Andrew to become human, but it turns into a love story, a really interesting love story, because these two people are coming from two very different places. Yeah, and I I think that that was one of the things that I liked, is you start seeing the one major commonality is that she's kind of an art lover, she's an art restorer, and she's trying to restore old things. And here's Andrew kind of doing the same thing but he's trying to restore an old robot and he's trying to help humans become basically newer people with upgrades and i kind of like that that little bit of contrast and maybe i'm making maybe i'm seeing into this way too much but you're right you know it was just really really good for that i seeing at the very end where he Basically, what happens is at one point, he finally decides to put blood into his system. And the reason that he does this is so that he can age and be declared a human being so that his marriage to Portia is validated and is legal. Right. Because he does, he does this and then he goes to the World Co- the, the world Congress the first time mm-hmm. and they ask him, okay – you look human, you have human organs, what about your positronic brain? Oh, well, I still have, well, you know, there's too much questions, there'd be too much jealousy over an immortal human. Because of your positronic mm-hmm. brain, you're essentially immortal. 
by human standards. So once you get that fixed, sure. But until then, nope, not going to happen. So he then begins his, what, second or third quest to... <laughs> Pretty much. To, to, to be able to age, yeah. yeah. And it, um, it That was kind of... It was kind of sad, but when you think about it, it it's... It needed to happen. It, it's right. It, it's... Oh, absolutely. Because you wouldn't have that emotion from him at the end. Like when the when the first judge says all that stuff to him, mm-hmm. and he just turns around and says, "One is glad to be of service," and he just walks out. I mean, you wouldn't have that emotion from Robin Williams from the character of Andrew Martin if he had, you know, yeah. If it, if they had granted that, and I think the film needed that that rejection to make him work even more harder because. Technically, yes, he is ninety-five percent human. It's just that other little pesky five percent brain thing that doesn't make him human, right? You know, it, it's all of this building to it. You just see mm-hmm. that finally on his two hundredth birthday, yep. he is granted. He is considered by the World Congress to be a bicentennial man. Not a robot. Right. And in the story, Bicentennial Man, when it goes through, the first time that he approaches the World Congress to try and become classified as as human, human. they call him – it's 150 years in, and they call him the sesquicentennial machine, sesquicentennial robot. And finally, after 200 years, he becomes a bicentennial man. And it was it was such a touching moment. He he sees this on his deathbed and dies. And well, he doesn't even see it. He's already his eyes are already closed by the time by the time uh, the chief comes on and gives him the good <laughs> Yes. God, every time I see Lynn, Lynn Thigpen in anything other than Carmen San Diego, I'm like, "Yes, the chief." <laughs> oh god, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> but so, yeah, he he so. dies listening to the broadcast and Portia, this is where this is where the laws of robotics take this turn for me. And Portia says to their nurse, who is a human version of Galatea, yep. and she says, "Please unplug my life support machine." That's an order. And this here, it it completely goes against the first law of robotics for me. It it does, but. It, it's it it does. I'm I'm not gonna say it doesn't. It does, but in this case, I think it can be excused because of the fact that she didn't want to be without. They didn't want to be without each other. Andrew had died. Yes, she wanted to die away. Porsche's human. I technically, well, yeah, yeah, it does good because robots aren't supposed to kill humans. But well, and th- that is a common theme throughout Asimov's stories. He actually has. A short story that he does with a robot that produces, that does surgery, micro microsurgery, and he shrinks himself down. And the robot is supposed to go through and kill cancer cells, and it does that. Mm-hmm. And they were going to have the robot enlarge himself uh, to come back out. And they said, you know what? The robot said, in the chance, because there's a chance that I won't be able to control my enlargement. That it may just all of a sudden happen and I may return to normal size. He shoots himself out of the guy's uh, pores, 
shoots himself off into space and then enlarges himself and detonates out in space. Uh, it, all that's so that he can avoid the even remote possibility that he would not be able to control it and possibly kill the human. So with how strong the laws are, that's kind of why I find this one fault, if you will. And it's not really even a fault because I, I'm not sure if they were trying to make Galatea another human with with this level. See I, see, I think that's what they were doing because at this point, she had no signs. Of, like, I didn't even recognize her until – I remember the very first time I saw this movie and even on subsequent viewings – I had because it, it it had been years since I'd seen this. Um, I remember when I initially first saw this at the end. Until Portia says "Thank you, Galatea," I didn't even know that was Galatea at the yeah, time. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I'm looking. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's one of the things that one of the reasons why I kind of forgive the whole thing because. I see it as Galatea is helping a human because who wants to, you know? Yeah. And to, to the other side of that too, could be, as I'm thinking about it, it could be that, that by prolonging your life and trying to go on and on and on, maybe she was helping her, to not come to harm because you're living this immortal life and you really shouldn't be. Right. Maybe maybe ending the life then was a kindness and not Well, that was one of the pain. things earlier in the movie when, when Andrew said something to Portia about getting older and whatever else and and she's like, Yeah, you know, I'm I'm or no, not was it and <sighs> Yeah, it it had to have been Portia. Because she said something about that, you know, she's 75 or whatever, but she looks 51 or something or that. Something about taking right. his, his supplements or whatever it was. She said she wanted to stop because no one should live forever. And that's kind of the whole sto- the whole theme behind this, this movie a little bit, I think, is no one should want to live forever. We have this, the, the, oh God. we have the circle of life of life you know, being born, living, and dying for a reason, you know. Um, so yeah. I, technically Portia wasn't an immortal like Andrew would have been, but she did prolong her life for as long as, you know, as long as, as Andrew at least. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of gone over the story. And again, I apologize if I've, if I've ruined this for anybody who hasn't seen the film it's been out for a while. I'm sorry. You should see it. And mm-hmm. even then, even me ruining this this way, if you want to call it that, the film is still a great film. It is probably one of my favorite Robin Williams films. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, he just does so well. And this is like, I'm going, why was he not nominated for an Oscar for this? It's well, A lot of people are like, <gasps> you know, when I this... say that, but... Yeah, this movie had some problems. Yeah. Um, Before we get into the cast, I want to go over a bit of trivia from IMDb. Apparently, Disney had asked that the budget be cut by approximately $20 million. And when the film was released on Christmas Day, it flopped at the box office. Robin Williams blamed Disney's marketing and the loss of content the film suffered because of the budget cuts. As a result, he fell out with Disney again. 
the timeline of the film, we know it's 200 years, but it's actually April 3rd, 2005 to April 3rd, 2205. So it's 200 years to the day. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Adam Bryant, who appears as the Android head, has been Robin Williams stand in for more than a dozen films. Whoa, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> yep. Uh, Andrew is NDR number 114. This may be a tribute to Stanley Kubrick, who used the number 114 in multiple films, such as The Clockwork Orange, Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Uh, the original Bicentennial Man story by Isaac Asimov, the robot manufacturer, was named U.S. Robots in Mechanical Men. Uh, around 1971, a new modern manufacturing company took the name U.S. Robotics. Yes, I remember U.S. Robotics. Wow. Feels like we're talking about Bicentennial Man and iRobot all in the same breath. Pretty much. It's, it, well, they're both, I, you know, Isaac Asimov stories. So yeah, you kind of get the, you kind of get the same thing, same feelings going through. Uh, wow. Just so many things um, here. Despite the fact that this is filmed in the standard spherical format filmed in uh, Panavision is listed in the end credits. Huh. Uh, it could be argued that Galatea did not contradict the three laws as to leave Portia plugged in would have caused her more pain in the long run. Wow. Ending <laughs> the natural span of her life. Okay. I, I, now that, now that I'm seeing this, cause I said this before even seeing that trivia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie, I, I love this movie. I can only watch that. Like, like I said earlier, I haven't seen this. I mean, the last time I saw this was probably 2004, 2000, almost 10 years ago now. But every time I watch this movie, I, you know, I, for me, it goes from one emotion to the other. It goes from, you know, being really happy and funny because part of the first half of it's a comedy, just being really sad, you know, because you know, I know where it's going to go in the end. But yeah. I just, I love watching this movie every now and then. It's, it's a great film. And it's the very first time I saw this film. I did not see it in the theaters because I completely missed the fact that it came out on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't see it until a free preview weekend on Stars. <laughs> and this was the very first time I'd ever heard of Stars. So I'm, I'm sitting down, and I tune into it, and I go, ooh, what is this? Ooh, Bicentennial Man, let me watch this. And I started watching it, and I'm going, this is really good. And I start looking and noticing little things, and I'm going, this is Asimov. How did I never hear about this before? Because <laughs> I, I grew up reading Asimov stories. So, you know, my father did, and he handed me all his books, and he goes, here, try reading this stuff. You'll I think you'll like it. And I got hooked. And so for me to see this, I'm kind of going, my God, and I'm grabbing my dad. I'm going, Dad, sit down and watch this with me. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and we watched it, and at the end, you know, it's – I actually wanted to cry for a robot. As stupid as that sounds – I wanted to cry from piece of metal. <laughs> well, I mean, by the end, he was human. I mean, that's the thing. That was the whole point of the whole movie. Once he realized that he wanted his freedom and he wanted to be more than what he could be, or if you want to you know, apply a millet, he could be all that he could be. You yeah. Know? You know, I mean, by the end, he was human. Yeah, it, it was so, just, it was so good. So good. Such a good film and such a good display. Seeing Robin Williams going from being, you know, Mork from Mork and Mindy to, 
you know, Goodwill Hunting and then this. And it's just, it's such a change, but it's, it's a good change. It's, it shows his, it showed his, his repertoire that he could do, the, the skill that he had as an actor. Robin Williams did two amazing things in the 90s as far as transforming himself into characters he played. One was putting on that bodysuit and sticking his face in a white cake and saying, Toodaloo! in, in uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. And then this. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the man has done so much outside of those two films, but, I mean, like, he was one of those actors that basically took on a role just like Heath Ledger took on the Joker in 2008, just like, you know, whatever. I mean, he really conformed himself to whatever role he was playing. And the funny thing is, I just watched on Netflix a couple days ago, some PBS pioneers, whatever thing, looking back on Robin's life. And, you know, just having all these these guys like, like Louis Anderson and a few other, Blake Clark was on there talking about him and whatever else. And, you know, I know Good Morning Vietnam was about Adrian Cronauer. Mm-hmm. I know there is a real, or there was, I don't know if the guy's still alive or not, there was a real Adrian Cronauer out there. But, you know, throughout his life, Robin Williams really became the role that he was in Good Morning Vietnam in real life because he would always go over to, you know, overseas and he, he went to Afghanistan. He went to all these places and interacted with the troops and everything else. And I'm like, wow. He really did turn into Adrian Cronauer for yeah, real. Yeah, <laughs> he really know? did. Um, I mean, we could be here all day talking about the films that he's done. I mean, he's done so much. You already mentioned Mork and Mindy. Um, you know, like I said, Goodwill Hunting, where he got his Academy Award for it. Yeah, that was that was justified, and I'm glad that he, you know, he still went on. I, I I'm just, it, it's a shame that, unfortunately, he took his own life the way that he did. And, yeah. you know, it, we've talked about that before on talking about my generation. Yeah. What happened. I, I, uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there, there's something he says about his, something he says in good morning Vietnam in one of his radio things. And it's about something, but I can't remember what it's about, but one of the end lines is get a rope and hang me. And I'm like, oh god! When I heard about his death, the that's sadly that's the first thing that popped into my mind was that line from, from yeah. And, and, I, and I know that's bad to say, folks. I'm not. I trust me. I am very deeply emotional about the fact that Robin Williams killed himself. It just, yeah, it just is not. It, it's a, it's unfortunate. The man is gone, and unfortunately, and I'm yeah. I, we do him. We we can't even really do him justice by talking about him and putting him in this light. It's the man was the man is missed. He was a great man in the way of acting. He made many people laugh. He made people remember him, and I think that that's great. He it's Rob Paulson has his podcast that, and he says on his podcast, laughter is the best medicine, and you know. Uh, you, you, I, I forget what the exact quote is. Something about uh, it, it's the refills are free. Yeah, and you know it's it's great. It's 
it really is truly the best medicine. And, and unfortunately, I wish Robin had been able to see that and see that his laughter was helping other people and would have helped him. So, before we get into the rest of the cast, I I have to go over the accolades for this movie because this is just ridiculous. It lost out on everything. It, it yeah. lost best makeup of for the Academy Awards to, to Topsy Turvy. Yeah. Blockbuster Entertainment Award favorite actor comedy Robin Williams lost to Adam Sandler for Big Daddy. Okay, don't get me wrong. I love Adam Sandler as much as the next person, but I'm sorry. Robin Williams is a much better comedian. Yes. Uh, Blockbuster Entertainment Award favorite actress comedy and Beth Davids lost to Drew Barrymore and Never Been Kissed. Really? Whatever. Come on, yes. really? Yes. I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's just it there. Uh, Hollywood Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild Award Best Character Makeup uh, feature lost to Sleepy Hollow of all things. Uh, Kids Choice Awards favorite movie actor Robin Williams lost again to Adam Sandler for Big Daddy. Huh. I'm kind of glad he lost this one. Razzie Award yes. Act- Razzie Award worst actor Robin Williams lost to Adam Sandler and Big Daddy. Yes, that right there should tell you something. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just you know, but the rest of the cast. I mean, Sam Neill. I remember the first time I ever saw him in a movie. He was chasing Chevy Chase in uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, see, I've I have not seen that. I've heard it's really You've good. I've never see seen it. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I need oh to my see it. God. I need to see it. I know. Um, uh, yeah, my first experience with Sam Neill was a movie called Into the Mouth of Madness, and he kind of goes nuts, and it's kind of like a horror film, and I remember seeing that at Comic-Con one night. We stayed late, and we were watching films. Back when Comic-Con actually used to have, you know, film movie marathons. And, you know, I I saw that, and it was was twisted and creepy, and I liked it. And seeing him as this English actor to come out and do that just blew me away. And then, of course, to see him in Jurassic Park and, you know, everything else that the man has done, it's... He has that English act, you know, that English touch, I guess, would be the best way to put it, where yeah. everything he's he's in puts this nice spin of class on it. Yeah. The, the sad thing is, anything he's done since 1999, I don't think I've seen a single film of his. I wanted to see Escape Plan from 2013, but I never did. Um, but, I mean... Yeah. Between Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Bicentennial Man, and Jurassic Park, those are the three films I've seen him in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, he, he's got a lot of other things that he's done. He was in The Tudors, which I heard was excellent. Uh, Didn't he play Merlin at one point? Yes, uh, for an NBC special, and I he was great in that. But that was... That I remember. Yeah, I'm trying to see when Merlin was, because it was like... 1988. 88? Yep. No, 1998, I'm sorry. Oh, God, I'm like, wait, wait. 88? I read read the year wrong. (laughs) No, I'm like, you're scaring me. I'm going, wow, they had computer generation stuff back then? Cool. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, they they did a great job with that. With Unfortunately, he just kind of has fallen off with what I've seen. You know, I, I think the Tudors is the only thing that I'm recognizing here that he was in. He was in Crusoe on NBC that 
was shortly lived, Happy Town that was short lived, um, Alcatraz that was short lived on Fox. This guy yeah, is becoming, I remember that. Yeah. you know, this guy is becoming the new Ted McGinley. Unfortunately, it looks like. <laughs> I don't think anybody could become a new Ted McGinley. I mean. Well, for those who don't know, there is a thing out there called Jump the Shark, and. It, with Jump the Shark, they hold Ten McGinley as the patron saint of Jumping the Shark because he showed up on Happy Days, and that was pretty much when Fozzie, Fonzie actually jumped the shark. He showed up on Married with Children and took a spin downward. You know, he showed up on um, the well, practice, I think it was. Technically, Steve died or something on Married with Children. Something he, he, divorced, he divorced her. Steve, and then, Steve and then came back later on, but it was only yeah. for like one episode. Uh, oh, you, you you mentioned Happy Days. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know, or most people that I know probably don't know, <laughs> Mark originated on Happy Days. Yes. He had to interact. That was part of that special I mentioned earlier, the PBS thing that's on, uh, it's on Netflix. I completely forgot that Mark originated on Happy Days having and, to interact with Fonzie. <laughs> the thing I noticed about that was that it was actually supposed to be a dream sequence on Happy Days. And they originally had done that, and they said, well, you know what? We really like Mork, and we're going to have him, instead of being a dream sequence, we're actually going to have him wipe everybody's minds so that they don't realize that he's an alien, and they're going to have Mork return to his planet. And so that kind of came about, and then they said, we're going to do a spinoff of Mork and Mindy from Happy Days, and here comes this thing that lasts three seasons and kind of puts Robin Williams on the map as a comedian. So... You know, you know, the funny thing about that is, is before he passed, he had a very short-lived CBS show the last couple of years called The Crazy Ones. With Sarah Michelle Gellar, yes. Right. But the coolest thing about that show is when Pam Dauber showed up for an episode. Yes, I heard about that. I, I did not see it, unfortunately. I really wanted to, and I just missed that episode. I'm like, damn it. It's so good. It's so good. It's probably on Hulu or Netflix or something. I don't know. Okay, thank you for telling me that. I'm going to have to go hunt. It down. probably is. I don't know if it is, but it. I mean, it's probably it's probably on CBS's website or something. Um, yeah. So M. Beth M. Beth Davids, who plays uh, Little Miss in Porsche, uh, she debuted in Mutador in 1989. Um, she was in Army of Darkness in '92. That's in- right. That's where I've seen her. She was. Oh no! They're, they're going to get a little more frequent here in a minute. She was in Schindler's, Schindler's List in '93. In 1996, she was Miss Honey in Matilda. Mm-hmm. Completely didn't. I, I mean, I, I know who that character is, but I completely did not make the connection. She was in '98's Fallen. Obviously, Bicentennial Man. She was in Mansfield Park. Um, Bridget Jones's Diary. Good lord! No, she was on Scrubs for an episode. Uh, let's see. She was in Mad Men for eight episodes. She was Rebecca Price? Oh yep. my god, how did I miss that? Uh-huh. She was in Californication for ten episodes. Uh, she was in the 2011 film Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She was Mary Parker in the Spider-Man Sony reboot Amazing Films. Um, Which were amazingly bad, but yeah, that's, that's it, yeah. Way. Um, I like her. I, uh, there's only certain things that I've seen her in. Like, I didn't even realize she was Mary Parker in the Amazing Spider-Man films, but 
I liked her in Matilda. Obviously, I liked her in Bicentennial Man, whatever else. Um, she is to to put it to put it this way. She is a gorgeous woman. She is one of those understated beauties, as best I can suggest for her. She just she has this thing about her when she smiles, and you're kind of like, ah. And that's the that's the kind of character she needs to play. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, there's not that many people casting her for those roles. Yep. So I, we got to cover this just uh, for a minute, only because I believe she's uh, the young, um, um, young Miss Martin. Hallie, yeah, Hallie Kate Eisenberg is the. I believe she's yep. She's the sister. She's the sister of Jesse Eisenberg, aka. Uh, um, what the hell's his stupid name? Uh, uh, Facebook guy. Yeah, Fuck. Mark Zuckerberg. Hell? Thank you. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, we we don't have to go over her stuff a lot. I mean, well, but I, I'm going to mention. I only wanted to mention her because she's the brother of Jesse. She's the sister of Jesse Eisenberg. Well, and I'm also going to bring her up because her her basic thing where she became famous was from the Pepsi TV commercials. <laughs> Where they had her, and she's sitting there, and she sits down at the counter. Pepsi, please. Yep. Uh, how, how about a Coke? Uh, did you hear what I said? I said <laughs> Pepsi. <laughs> Thank you. That was her. And it was yep. just that they do these all whole voiceovers, and they had one where she's singing with Faith Hill and teaching Faith Hill about, you have to not focus on here, pointing to her head. You have to focus on here, and she's pointing to her heart, and it's like, Okay, this is stupid that this little kid is telling her this. The only Pepsi commercials that I ever pay any paid any attention to was the ones with Ray. Yep. The only ones that matter to me. Every other Pepsi commercial and just kiss my ass. Yeah. So but I mean Wendy, that's that's basically where we see her. Yep. Wendy Jane Crewson was ma'am or uh, Sir's wife in this. Um, she was Laura Miller in the Santa Claus films. Oh my God! Now that you say that, I, I recognize her. It didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't put two and two together. I didn't notice it the very first time I saw Bias and Tendo Man, but after the second or third watching recently, I, I noticed it. I was like, "Hey." <laughs> um. But I mean, she's been in a bunch of stuff. She oh was yeah, Eight below she was in away from her. Uh, this, well, last year she was in fall. Um, she's got some uh, interesting TV credits too. She was on Alcatraz for an episode. Uh, she was in CSI Vegas for an episode. She was on Twenty Four. For eight episodes as Dr. Ann Packard. You know, that's one show I've never gotten into. And everybody tells me it's so awesome. I just Um, never had time. Okay. Um, Let's see. Who else here? Uh, Oliver Platt. Oh, Oh, we've got to talk Oliver Platt. Good old Oliver Platt. I I always get sometimes. I don't know why this ever happens. But sometimes I get him and Nathan Lane mixed up. But I, sadly, I can see that to some extent. Uh, looking at his filmography, uh, according to this, he debuted in Married to the Mob in 1988. He's in Working Girl, Flatliners, 
Postcards from the Edge, the first Beethoven movie, Indecent Proposal, and then, you know, for me, his his ultimate role is Porthos in The Three Musketeers. Yes. <laughs> ah! <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Where were you? I was facing something ugly. Yes. <laughs> Do you intend to resist? Of course we intend to resist. Don't be so stupid. Of course we intend to resist. Just give us a moment. Yes. Three of them. Five of us, three of them. <laughs> Hardly a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was in uh, Funny Bones in 95, Tall Tale. Oh, yeah. He was Paul Bunyan in Tall Tale. I remember. Yeah. I actually won radio station tickets to go see that movie in 1995. Oh, man. Uh, executive Decision, A Time to Kill, Dangerous Beauty, Bullworth, The Imposters, Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's right. I forgot he was in that, too. Simon Birch. Then he was in... One or two or all of the Lake Placid movies, maybe. Maybe just one of them. Yeah. Um, obviously, Bicentennial Man. and He was in Frost Nixon in 2008. That was interesting. Oh, and we can't forget the apocalyptic film 2012. 2012 and 2009, yeah. It, so I'll have to go back and rewatch this movie as much as I really don't like or care for it, but I'll have to go back and rewatch First Class, X-Men First Class, and see if I can see the man in the black suit. Yeah. Um, more recently, he, he was in Chef from last year. This year he had uh, The Ninth Life of Louis Drake, Drax, uh, When I Live My Life Over Again, uh, Bessie, uh, was a television movie, and apparently next year he's got uh, Shut In coming. Yeah, it's kind of like he... It's kind of like he just fell out of acting for a while. I mean, like, he's done stuff, but nothing that you'd really recognize, per se. He's, uh, well, have you seen, um, now that uh, Law & Order, as a franchise, is essentially dead, because the only one left is SVU, what Dick Wolf has now done is he's now created a Chicago trilogy with Fire, PD, and Med now. Chicago Med is a new series this year. Um, that tie so Dick Wolf now has Chicago Fire, PD, and Met. So those are the that's a trilogy of series that all tie together because they all take place in the same damn city, right? And apparently he's going to be Doctor Daniel Charles, a part of the main cast in Chicago Med. Hmm. Um, he actually showed up in in the episode I Am the Apocalypse uh, in Chicago Fire uh, this year as well. So that's where they debuted him. But I mean, I, I love Oliver Platt. I, I think he's an amazing actor. Um, I like his comedy more than his serious stuff, but uh, he seems to be, I, I, he seems to be really good at doing the like bumbling buffoon, I, I guess is the best way to put it. Although he really isn't. Yeah. He just seems to carry that off so well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip one here because I just now realized we'll, we'll get back to Galatea, but oh my God, Milton was the robot president in this Stephen Root. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Strict nine in the guacamole. I was like, oh my God, wait a minute. That's, that's Milton. What the hell? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every time I see Stephen Root anywhere, it's like, that's the first thing that pops into my head is office space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that and for me, Bill Dotree. 
from King of the Hill because I I can oh, hear yeah. his voice all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, he's had some uh, some interesting films over the years. Um, he started out in as a DEA agent uh, in Crocodile Dundee two. Uh, he was in Stanley and Iris. He was in Ghost. He was in uh, V.I. Warshawski. That's a film I haven't heard of in a long time. Yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> well, it was Kim Basinger, so I think it was. I don't remember. No, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I forget who the hell stars in that movie. Kathleen Turner, that's who yeah. it was. Ah, <laughs> yeah. lovely voice. Yeah. Uh, he was Gary Murray in the 1992 Buffy the Vampire Slayer film. Yes, I remember that. He was Koontz in RoboCop 3. And as a side note, he came back later to play a vampire again in True Blood for the very first episode or something. Couple that's, First season. That's awesome. Obviously, Milton Wadhams in, in Office Space in 99. He was Frank Start in Ice Age. Uh, he was in 2003's Grind, 2004's The Lady Killers. Oh my god, he was in Jersey Girl. Wow. And then he goes back to almost a Milton-style role, and we're going to have to cover this at some point. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Oh, God, yes, we have to cover that. <laughs> he was he was, uh, he was was Gordon in Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Um, Fox and the Hound 2. Uh, yeah. Just, just stop. Um, he was other- Chode on Tripping the Rift? Yep. How did I miss that? <laughs> wow. Um, apparently he's filming something called Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. I don't know what that's. That's supposed to be something for next year. Okay. So I have no <laughs> idea. His television credits include Peter Lundy on Roseanne for one episode. I remember that episode, actually. Uh, Jake and the Fat Man. <laughs> Head of the class is Mr. Birch for one episode. He was the exterminator in Home Improvement. He was um, Captain Cavada on Next Generation. He was Mr. Willard slash Spirit of Death for two episodes on Night Court. Murphy Brown is John Brophy. I mean, the man has done a bunch, like, but I mean, really seriously. I mean,. I'm sure if we really looked at this, we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll remember it, but it's one of those things where for me, it's office space that all, every time I realize it's him, it's Milton, but I always think of, well, and everybody remembers him as Milton from office space, or they remember him as, uh, the head of the news studio or the head of the radio station and news radio, you know, it's, I really like him. He's he's a great actor. He does a lot, a lot, a lot of voiceover work. Speaking of voiceover, he was the Penguin in Batman the Brave and the Bold. And Killer Croc, too. He was Bud Bud Gleeful in Gravity Falls. I I apologize. I don't know who Bud Gleeful is, and I'm sure my niece is... I don't know either. Uh, I'm sure my niece is going, it's this guy, because she loves Gravity Falls. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Jennifer, she, uh, I tell you, she's probably the only person in the world that could get me to watch that show. And I've seen the first season now. 
So <laughs> it's it's interesting from what I've seen so far. I've only seen about it's, five episodes, but yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was. It's one of those things where I always think like when things are hyped up to me, and I and I do this too, and I'm sure people get turned off by me doing it, saying, "Oh my God, you should see this. Why haven't you seen this?" But when stuff gets hyped up to me by like a million different people, it's like it makes me want to run the complete opposite way. Yeah. And for one, I'm not one into the supernatural or or, 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 or paranormal kind of things. So I did go into gra- watching Gravity Falls with an open mind. And honestly, I really have no complaints out of the first season. We're going to actually, hopefully Jim and I are going to do a Tooncast Beyond for it uh, for Halloween this year. Um, but um, I mean... I'm not obsessed with the series like I'm a, like I was obsessed with Phineas and Ferb, but it's a good cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way about it. It's it's not bad, but not great. So apparently, last year he played a character named Dan, who was Penny and Bernadette's boss in The Big Bang Theory. Totally oh, missed that. I I remember that after seeing him because he was afraid of Bernadette. Yeah. Oh and, yeah, that's right. They're like, oh yeah, uh, well you know we we would. Uh, we cut out free coffee a couple years ago. Who's been paying for a coffee? We have. <laughs> we all chipped in. We were too afraid to tell her. And that bathroom that she uses, that's her personal bathroom. Well, we just tell her that because we can't tell her that, you know, it's not hers. It's the handicap bathroom. Yes. Steven Root is hilarious. Yes, he is awesome. Um, so... Kirsten Warren was the, uh, she was, uh, she was, oh, she was Galatea. Okay. So her, um, I, Bison Tillerman has to be the first thing I ever saw her in. Yeah, she's, and she is adorable. She's been in a bunch of other stuff. She was in Sybil in 95. She was in Saved by the Wedding, uh, Saved by, oh my God. She I was... can't believe I did not recognize her. Oh my god! I love that show. She was Alex Tabor in Saved by the Bell: The College Years. How? T- oh How my I... god! They did a damn good job transforming her into that robot to make us not realize who the hell she really was. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell did I not recognize anyone? Oh my god! Wow. Um. She was uh, she was in uh, Life Goes On from ninety two to ninety three. After Bicentennial Man, she did duets in two thousand. She was in Divine Secrets of the Yeah Yeah Whatever the Hell. Yeah. Um, the Snow Walker thirteen going on thirty. Uh, Desperate Housewives for nine episodes. Uh, recently, she was on CSI before it probably kicked the bucket. And I have to mention Bunheads because that's one of my wife's favorite TV shows. <laughs> God help me. You said it was one of your wife's favorite TV shows. You didn't say it was one of your favorite TV shows. Yes, but there's a point when you walk in and that's all you see on TV is because yeah. she's watching it over and over and over again on ABC Family app. <laughs> Good God. Um, I think the last one we kind of really need to pick up on is because... She was just everywhere. Um, is Lynn Thigpen because oh, she? Oh of course, of course. Uh, as the chief. Um, okay, so she had a lot of stage work. She had from seventy three to 
1997 or so, she was in a bunch of plays. Um, for films, her debut was Godspell in 73. Uh, she was on Lean on Me in 89. She was in, uh, she was in Blank Man in 1994. Oh, don't, don't forget the one movie that, like, a lot of people said that was really a turning point for just out there indie type films was The Warriors. She was in there as DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in uh, Just Cause, Random Hearts, obviously Bicentennial Man. She then shows up as um, the mother of the kid that got killed in Shaft. Yes. I forgot about that. I saw her in Shaft, in 2000's Shaft, people, not, not, not the old movies, but the Samuel L. Jackson Shaft movie. I was like, oh my god. Again, the first thing, because everybody remembers her as the chief from Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, the game yep. show. I mean, no one, no one can look at that woman and not think, oh my god, it's the chief. There was, I'm trying to think of what it was. There was a TV series, and I'm looking for it here to see. Um, not L.A. Law. She played as a, like a, a, a secretary or something where she had cancer. And God help me, I can't remember what it is. Uh, but she played as that, and then, like, I see her, and I'm going, oh, my God, that's the chief. Um, it was the district. That's what it was. The district, yeah. It was, she was in the district. And I remember seeing her, and I'm going, what's the chief doing as a secretary? And that was, <laughs> that was like, one of the first things I'd seen after like, her being in there. Yeah. I was like, what? When I, when I first saw the district, I'm like, wait, what's the coach doing as the police chief? And what's the chief doing as the secretary? Okay, I'm not the only one. <laughs> but I love the – I didn't I didn't watch all of the district. I probably need to go back and do that. But I loved the district. That was an awesome show. Yeah, um, she was great. Uh, she did a number of voice roles over the years as well. Uh I'm trying to see if there's one. She was Luna in Bear in the Big Blue House. She was um, she was in Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Uh, you know, so I mean, Lynn, Lynn Thigpen, she is very much missed. I mean, I don't know if they ever bring back. I don't think they ever will, but if they ever brought back Carmen Sandiego, oh. there's nobody that you could get nowadays. I don't think that they really do the. The role justice. They they can't. They can't. Uh, it wouldn't be right. And I think that that may be part of why they haven't brought it back. Is I mean, it would be fine if they brought it back like the animated series because the chief in that was like a an automated. I don't know who did the voice in the the the, the where on earth is Carmen Sandiego animated series, but it was a white male and it was some sort of white robotic sounding voice or whatever. Yeah, like, that would be fine. But the actual game show. Where you had what's his name as the host and yeah, as the chief and I, I don't think they could. You never, you're never going to be able to replicate that ever again. No, it's and that's the thing. I mean, that was how many kids saw that and went, you know, I mean, how many kids from our generation now can still go? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? You know, you hear that song and you're like, oh my god, that's Rockapella, and you know, we all know, do it Rockapella. We all know about the the three parts of the the sign, and you know that was the kids' game show that you watched on PBS. That's what 
as far as I know, that's what made me start watching PBS. Yep. Well, outside of um, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and all that. But yeah. But, I mean, that's what got me watching it as a teen. I was like, PBS yeah. is all, you know, it, it's stuff that you watch as a toddler for Sesame Street. And, oh, well, now I'm watching PBS for Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, and I'm learning. And, oh, my God, what is happening to me? <laughs> so, overall, we've we've pretty much covered all the actors here uh, for Bicentennial Man. We've covered about how this is a great film. We've hit our trivia. Any final thoughts that you have, Mike, on this film? Anyone that hasn't seen this film that wants to see a different side of Robin Williams, watch this movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. He he is a comedian who went serious several times. Look at One Hour Photo. Look at, um, oh, what was the other one? Oh, there was one uh, where it was where he played a killer up in Alaska. Yeah, yeah I mean, with um, but, him and Hillary I mean, Swank. Yeah, um, you know what. Well, when he played Merrick Rook on a couple episodes of Law and Order Special Victims Unit, that was one of those things where it's like, well, what's the genie doing on Law and Order? I mean, come on. I mean, I know I know he went serious several times in his career, but yikes. Yeah. Um, but I, I absolutely love that. But with Bicentennial Man, go into it with open eyes, people, and just, you know, watch it and, and watch to enjoy the movie because this really is an enjoyable movie. It's going to, you know, you're going to end up bawling your eyes out by the end of it, but if you don't, you, then you must be a robot yourself. Yeah, something's wrong with you. It, yes. It's it, it, you, you, you know, it, you should be singing If I Only Had a Heart. It's, it, it is really a great film, and I, I'm sorry that so many people don't think it as a great film, and it's, it's a shining example of Robin Williams' And seeing his humanity and seeing him put on a different role that than just trying to make everybody laugh. He he has a couple of great little lines, uh, like when when Oliver Platt, you know, Rupert Burns first teaches him how to swear, and he goes, he's has his record player, and he says, "This is a pile. What a pile of fecal matter!" And he goes, <laughs> "No, pile of you know, pile of shit." Shit. <laughs> he goes, "Say it with effort. Say it with feeling." Shit, and they're they're teaching him how to swear and say shit, and it's hilarious. And, and you know, of course, you're thinking, do I really want to let my kids watch this and learn how to swear properly? But at the same time, it, it's kind of that thing, and it's hilarious. It's great. Okay, Robin Williams in his career technically played two different child roles. Okay, technically, I would call Andrew Martin. Not necessarily a young child, but a child who, because he's a robot, he needs to learn humanity. Yes. So, you know, and the other role, obviously, is Jack. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't know. Uh, I think that this was probably one of his better roles. Oh, absolutely. It, It is. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying that it's one of those things where Robin, you know, in his wisdom and in, in, in his, you know, acting ability can just make you believe in anything that he did. Yeah. So I think with that, we'll go ahead and end this episode. Uh, we are coming back folks. As we mentioned, uh, I do want to thank you. What the hell we're doing, but we're coming back. We will have a Halloween episode that we're working on. We're, we, we've got some ideas. We're Scrappy kicking around. Rules. Oh God. 
<laughs> well, at least it wasn't Flim Flam. Oh, come on. At least, at least I have some taste. I know Flim Flam is nuts, but... <laughs> yes, and so for those of you who don't know what those characters are, go study. We will be coming up with a little thing of asking where are you yes. towards the end of the month. Uh, so please go out and check us out at MyGenerationPodcast.com. You can write us at... Uh, you can write us at, at mygenerationpodcast.com or I'm sorry, mygenerationpodcast at gmail.com email address. Uh, you can also visit us on Twitter. I am at S-P-R-Z-O-U-T, which, Mike, I know I need to change it. It's Sprezout. I know you are. TF2 and Mike. Okay. So for those of you who haven't listened, please go tune in to us. And, Mike, I know you've got some stuff coming up on GCRN. Oh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff. Just head on over to geekcastradio.com. Um, our Powers of Grayskull series podcast, uh, it's four He-Man podcasts in one. We spent four and a half years covering 130 episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. We are now getting into She-Ra, Princess of Power. We've got uh, Showtime Synergy, which is our gem show. We just released episode 15. We are halfway through... Season 2 of Gemini Holograms. We've got The Pullback, which is all about comics. We've got Cinema Geeks, which is all about current movie stuff.